Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. No score in the third between Toronto and St. Louis. The Devils lead the Islanders 4-1 early in the third. Taylor Hall has his 16th. Rangers up 5-1 on the Flyers, also early in the third period. Nash has two tonight. He's up to 11 on the season. Dallas and Detroit 2-2 late in the second period. Early second period, scoreless between the Golden Knights and the Predators later. Well, actually starting in a few minutes, the Sharks play the Coyotes. The Oilers are off until Saturday when they host Vancouver. We'll have it for you on 630, Chad. Furnace Family Oilers Hockey, Edmonton's Furnace Replacement Experts. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. We had Mike Riley on the show in the first half hour. Hugh O'Neill will remain Mike Riley's teammate. The Eskimos have re-signed the kicker through the 2018 season, so I'd expect Sean White to place kick, Hugh O'Neill to punt once the Eskimos get going in uh, a few months. And other news from the CFL today, U of A star running back, the reigning Heck Crichton Trophy winner, Ed Ilnicki, has signed with the Ottawa Red Blacks. Ed, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Great, Reed. Thanks for having me on. How's everything going for you? Well, uh, things are great. There's there's a lot I want to ask you about, in, including the, the contract today, but the last time you were on was within an hour of uh, of winning the Heck Crichton, and you told an incredible story about uh, how your grandfather is, is uh, a big inspiration in your life. So before we get to the football stuff, I want to know, I think a lot of listeners want to know, how's your grandpa doing? <laughs> he's doing? He's doing really well. He... Uh, he, he had a good Christmas season. It was a good chance for us to see all the family, everybody. I got cousins that are living all over the place. One's in, one's in Whitehorse, one's in Seattle, and one's uh, on an exchange right now in the Netherlands. So we all came home, and we all got to have Christmas dinner together. So he was very happy to spend that time together. It's something he really cherishes and something that's rubbed off on all of us. So we all make sure to be home for Christmas every year to see him. Okay, right on. Well, that, that's that's awesome to hear, Ed. The uh, Ottawa Red Blacks uh, signing you to a, a deal today. Tell us about this uh, this prospect and and how you feel you get to get your name on that contract. Yeah, yeah. So it all got started for me at the end of uh, at the end of my season with Golden Bears. So we wrapped things up at the beginning of November, and so right after that, I had a conversation with some of the personnel staff about. Do I want to come back? Is this something I want to pursue? And at that time, I was like, yeah, absolutely. There's nothing I'd love more than to keep playing football. So, But I, I tried to pump the brakes a little bit and just make sure you know, I wrapped everything up here at U of A and got through the, the tail end of our, you know, the, at the end of our season, we got all our meetings. We have our banquet. I had the chance to travel out to Hamilton for the all-Canadian dinner. So I wanted to get that stuff done and, and get the most out of that experience and then worry about the details of pursuing a CFL career, so 
going into Christmas, I had some time to think about it, and then I just finalized a few details in this first couple of weeks of January here. Got all the paperwork sent back to, to Ottawa last week, and then finally came through and got cleared by the league this, this week. So very exciting. Um, it's a big process for sure, and the business side of it is something that I'm definitely new to, but I'm glad I'm getting to experience it's something that's great to learn, and it's such a unique opportunity that so many guys would, would do a, almost anything to be in this position. So i got to take full advantage of that. Do you think you'll approach camp differently or have different expectations this year as opposed to last year? And I guess I'm coming at this from the angle of last year, um, you know, you knew you, you could go play at the U of A, obviously, if Ottawa didn't uh, didn't decide to keep you around. Does, does that change anything for you going into camp this year? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's so much the motivation and... I don't know if there was a lack of it or anything last year with, with having the opportunity to return to school, but I think it's just knowing, being a bit more familiar with what it's going to look like. And there were times throughout the year that, you know, you get as buried on the depth chart and you're not getting a ton of reps and that kind of thing. And you get frustrated because I've spent, I've spent, you know, four or five years at U of A and I've gotten to play a significant amount of time. But it's just a reality that I'm hitting the reset button now on what I've earned, right, what, I, what I'm entitled to. Because at this point, Everybody's everybody. This is how everyone feeds their families. This is how everyone. This is what they do day to day for the for the rest of their lives, or for as long as they can, right? So I got to go into this. I got to go into this knowing what that's going to look like, and knowing that the expectations are that much higher, the competition level is that much higher, and having gotten to experience that last year, now I know I have a sense of what to expect. I have a sense of. What, what it's going to take for me to get to that level and then just another chance to continue to grow and to learn as a football player going into this year. Heck Crichton Trophy winner Ed Ilnicki joining us on Inside Sports. Outstanding career with the U of A Golden Bears now signed by the Ottawa Red Blacks. Ed, I, I got to ask you this question. A lot of times there are Canadian players who have outstanding collegiate careers either side of the border um, they join the CFL, and a lot of people say, yeah, they'll be good on special teams. I assume you're shooting higher than that. Is that fair to say? Not that there's anything wrong with being on special teams, but you're a running back, right? You're, you, you see your, I, assume, I see you as a running back. I assume that's the position you want to play. That's, uh, and, and that's the best way to put it, Reed, is that everybody, you know, you never, not, nobody wants to be the guy that's sitting on the bench and not taking carries. You want to be the guy who's, who's playing a big role in the offense and, and moving the chains and getting things done for you, getting things done for your team and trying to help that team win a championship. But the reality is that it takes a long time to be in that place where you get to earn that right. And especially as a Canadian, with the way the league, the way the league set up to come in and to play right away, that takes a very special kind of player and it takes a guy who's very mature and has developed and has learned things the right way and sometimes you got to get lucky and you know, something's going to pop up and when you get the chance, you got to be ready to you've got to know your playbook inside and out and you got to be able to go out and perform and help your team win, so for me um, I can't you know, I'm not going to have the chance to take carries right away or the chance to the chance to play that big of an integral role and that's something that took a bit of time adjusting to understanding last year when I was in training camp but I just have to go in and I have to keep my head down and keep working and understand that the timelines are a lot longer it takes a lot longer to earn to earn whatever playing time you get while, while you're in the CFL and the reality is keeping your body healthy is a full-time job so you're not going to be much help with anybody if you're sitting on the sideline and not in your gear right so 
taking care of my body. That's my num- that's going to be my number one priority going into this. And whatever opportunity comes up to me, and wherever whatever position I'm at on the field, I want to go out and compete because that's all I can ask for out of this experience. I mean, football has given me so much. I've gotten a full degree out of it. So the game doesn't owe me anything. So I can't go into it feeling entitled. I just have to go and be ready to compete and do everything I can to help the team win. We're still a ways away from camp, though. Do you have some school stuff you still want to get uh, finished here, or what's on the menu for you? Yeah, yeah, we're just. I'm just wrapping up. Uh, this will be. This is the last semester of my bachelor of commerce at U of A, so I'm excited to get it done. I think there's a lot of the nervous energy that every student starts to feel about this time at the end of their last year, where it's like, oh man, like three months from now, gotta, the real world's gonna hit, and I'm lucky enough that I'm gonna get this opportunity to head out to Ottawa. So. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to get school wrapped up. I've got some good classes, a couple of good professors that I've really enjoyed learning from in the past. I'm excited to get classes with them again. But my grandpa told me as soon as I finished this deal, he's like, "You got to get that. You got to take care of your schoolwork. You got to make sure that's. You got to make sure you crush that because that's going to serve you. That's something that is with you for a long time. Make sure you take care of it." Well, Ed, this is exciting news today. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. I know everybody listening has enjoyed following your career and uh, is hoping it continues a lot longer at the pro level. All the best, Ed, and we'll be in touch soon, okay? Thanks, Reed. Thanks for having me on again. Talk soon. Right on. That's Ed Nicky checking in. Yeah, got to listen to Grandpa. Grandpa said you got to finish that degree. If you want to play pro football, that's fine. you got to finish that degree. Ed Nicky, good to catch up with him. Heck, Crichton, winner. Now he's going to try it with the Ottawa Red Blacks. He was there last year. He was he drafted by the Red Blacks last year, went to camp, didn't stick around, uh, but now uh, because he could go back to the U of A. But now, as, as I said to him, now the stakes are a little higher. You don't make the Red Blacks, and then you got to decide, are you going to keep looking for a, a job in football? Do you do something else? But... I think Ed's a pretty talented guy, and he did. We had Evan Dom on last week from the Canada West Conference, and he said Ed was able to even work on his speed year four, year five, and become a better running back as he got deeper into his career and get faster as he got deeper into his U Sports career. So I think now he's going to focus on what he needs to do to become a CFL player. Great story from the U of A program. Uh, they've obviously had some tough seasons. They were able to get into the playoffs finally this season. So hopefully something for Chris Morris and crew to build on. The Olympics are, uh, what, less than a month away? We got February 9th. They start. Edmonton's Caitlin Osmond will be competing in figure skating. She already has a silver medal in the team event. She'll be going for it in singles. You'll hear from her when we get back. This is Adarius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We had Adarius Bowman's quarterback, Mike Riley, on in the first hour of the show. If you missed that interview, you can listen to it on the Eskimos page on 630ched.com. And, of course, you can always get everything from this show on the Inside Sports page on 630ched.com or sign up for the podcast through the magic of iTunes. My name is Reed Wilkins. It is 718. Have the Golden Knights Predators on the tube here about halfway through the second period no score of course the Oilers coming off that overtime victory in Vegas on Saturday night man Darnell Nurse is taking command he looks good and I'm going to throw this out there and it's going to make some of you mad because uh, I know Peter Shirelli might be villain number one 
in the Edmonton sports scene right now as you see what Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle and even Matthew Barzell are uh, doing in the National Hockey League. A couple of summers ago, a lot of teams, well, some teams, were trying to pry Darnell Nurse away from Edmonton. Sometimes your best moves are the ones you don't make. Nurse is really coming on. He's exceeded what I thought he would be able to do so far this season. He's going to be vital for the Oilers. It is a long shot for them to make the playoffs, but it's still a shot. And I think probably, well, I don't think probably, I do think Talbot, McDavid, and Nurse are going to be the three most important players for the Oilers down the stretch. Meanwhile, Caitlin Osmond, once again, Going to the Olympics didn't go the way she wanted at the Canadian Figure Skating Championships in Vancouver over the weekend. She did get second place, wanted first, but she is going back to the Olympics. Caitlin, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's great to have uh, have you on the show again, and uh, exciting that uh, you're off to the Olympics for the second time in your career. Tell me how you're uh, you're feeling coming out of, coming out of nationals and qualifying again. I'm feeling so excited to qualify again. Um, I can't believe that I'm already going to my second Olympics. Um, nationals didn't work out the best in my favor. I didn't skate my best, but um, I managed to make the team, and that's all that mattered this event. So uh, I'm just really excited. All right. I, you just made that comment about nationals, and, and I've read a couple of interviews you did uh, since then. And uh, I know you're being kind of hard on yourself. Uh, give us some details about just kind of your your performance versus the expectations you had. I was going into the uh, to national skating really good in practice, skating perfect at my practices there. And I was ready to compete. I felt super confident. And I made a mistake in my short program falling on my first jump, which is something I, I haven't done in many years of com- in, in that program. So um, that was a big shock for me. And then in my long program, I started off incredibly strong. Um, and I made a few costly errors in the middle. So um, it was just mistakes that I don't like making and ones that I was really hoping I wouldn't make at this event. But um, overall, I'm happy with it all. Okay, so how? And I mean, I know you've been this through this before, and we've talked about this before. When when there is a when there is a mistake in the program, uh, how quickly are you able to refocus on what you're doing? Would you say that's a strength of yours and something you've worked on, or tell us about getting back into the routine when maybe something goes wrong, like you said, or sometimes early in the program? Uh. I worked really hard on being able to come back from a mistake and making the next element as good as I can make it. In my short program, I proved that a a lot. Uh, I made the mistake on the first element and I was able to come back and skate as clean of a program as I possibly could afterwards. So I was really excited about that. And in my long program, uh, the mistakes I had were pretty much one right after the other. So um, it was really hard to refocus, but I've been doing that really well this year. So. what I could do. Okay, Caitlin Osmond, Caitlin Osmond joining us on Inside Sports, bound for the uh, Olympics for the second time in your career. So I'm curious now, now you're in, uh, the Olympics are, well, less than a month away, so tell us what happens between now and then. This must be an exciting time. It's so exciting, so motivating, um, and the frustration that I have from Nationals is, is giving me a boost of motivation to get back on the ice and train. Um, but that's pretty much all that's between now and the Olympics is more training, more repetition, and just 
skating as good as I can so that I won't make those mistakes again while I'm there. Will, will you change anything to your routines? Will there be any even minor tweaks, or is it just same thing, just keep polishing it? Uh, keep polishing. Uh, I made a few changes into my lung program between the last few competitions. So finally that program feels really set, really um, really perfected in that way. Uh, so it's just making it feel really comfortable and skating it more and more. Um, other than that, it's just polishing everything and making sure everything is as good as it can be. Caitlin, once you're, once you're at the Olympics, what will the... You know, what will a day be like for you? Will you try to, you know, distance yourself from everything else going on? Might you go to an event or, or sightsee a little bit? Like, give us, you know, the the once you're there, how do you sort of handle it and try to find a routine and, and, and enjoy the experience while still, you know, realizing you're there for a really the most important possible competition? Uh, that's something that I'm going to be thinking about uh, the the next three three weeks um, at competitions, I'm really good at staying in my room and barely talking to anyone and just keeping to myself. Um, that's a regular competition for me. But the last Olympics, that's what I did, and I didn't skate my absolute best there, and I, I didn't get to experience all that much <sighs> until after I was done. Which is still the main thing this year is that I won't be taking in many events until I'm done competing. Um, but right now it's debating on what, uh, it's finding out what I'm going to be doing at the Olympics. Uh, there's the team event that hasn't been fully decided over what I'll be doing in that event, or um, I should be in the event. Um, <laughs> um, but overall, I'm hoping to take in a few a few other sports. Um, the last Olympics, I got to take in a couple hockey games and speed skating and witness some bobsleigh. So I definitely love to see some more. But other than that, it's um, keeping to myself. <laughs> Okay, well that's good. You're there. It's it's a work trip for you, right? It's not a it's not a holiday. So yeah, you you got to stay focused for sure. Um, so w- when do you leave? Like, how much longer are you going to be in Edmonton before you head to South Korea? Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure on what the exact day is that I leave, but I'm I believe I'm here for three weeks. Okay, so still some time to to practice and and all that all that kind of stuff. Um, all right. Well, th- this is exciting. What What do you think you most learned from the last Olympics that'll help you the most this time around? From what I hear from so many people is that not one Olympics is the, is the same as the other. So I, I'm trying not to think about too much of the last Olympics going into this one, thinking that I'll know what to expect when everyone says they're not the same. So there's no point in expecting anything. Um, but I did learn that I do need to enjoy myself while I'm there and enjoy uh, being in that stage, being around all the different athletes from all different sports. And that's the biggest thing that I want to do this time is to enjoy every minute of it and really appreciate what I've done to get there. Right. Well, you worked incredibly hard. I mean, we've we've talked in the past about uh, everything you've already accomplished and, the, and obviously the big injury you had to overcome a couple of years ago. Caitlin, uh, thanks so much for making time for us on Inside Sports. I really appreciate it. I, I know uh, you got a lot to do between now and the competition, so it's great to speak to you again. All the best, okay? Take care. Thank you. That is Caitlin Osmond checking in, one of many 
stars to follow at the Olympics in South Korea starting on February 9th. All right, we got a break for the 7.30 News. Enforcers Week Volume 2 begins with Darcy Hordachuk, Inside Sports on Chet. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Boy, look at them slugging each other. I mean, this is a heavyweight tilt. They both have gotten in good punches. Mel Engelstadt and the Solar Bears, Darcy Hornacek still going at it toe-to-toe, left and right. Hornacek trying to get in that last left hand. He's a southpaw. As over the top comes Mel Engelstadt with a, what appears to be... Uh, wow, the magic of YouTube. Darcy Hordachuk, Mel Angelstadt, one of many enjoyable hockey fights you can find on YouTube. Well, maybe they're not so enjoyable for the people that are in them necessarily. We're going to find out. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630 Ched. A couple of months ago, we uh, did a week called Enforcers Week. We got some good feedback. So I said, let's do it again. And we're going to kick it off with one of the men whose name you heard in that video, Darcy Hordachuk, who, of course, was briefly an Edmonton Oiler as well. Darcy, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing, sir? Good, really good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for making time for me tonight. Well, I'll, I'll start with the the video. Did that, did that audio bring back any memories of Mel Angelstad, good or bad? <laughs> Man, I, I'm, it's, I'm bringing back some memories. I'm having flashbacks of uh, basically getting punched in the head about a hundred times and uh, not being able to tie my skates after the game after that. I think it was my basically my first time up from juniors, from the Blades, when I was supposed to come back as a 20-year-old. And I just remember running around the whole game, and everybody was trying to fight me. And I, I came to a point where, I, you know, after Jimmy Roy was chasing me around the ice, I'm like, listen, just send out your toughest guy. And I'll fight him. And then this guy comes in the ice. His nose is on the other side of his face. He could barely skate. He's like holding onto the boards. And I'm like, holy crap, I'm in for one. And, uh, yeah, it was my first fight in the IHL as a 20-year-old. And I was like, who is this? And I, after that fight, I thought, man, I'm, I'm ready to quit hockey. If I got to do this the rest of my life and fight guys like this. You know, in juniors, you hit a guy a couple times and he goes down. I said, maybe this might not be what... Uh, what I'm cut out for, but, uh, you know, after talking to the coaching staff and some agents, they're like, there's no way you're going to ever be fighting like this with some other guys in the league. This guy was one of the tougher guys, and he kind of put me in the map and uh, got me ready for the next step in the NHL. Well, I, I hope I didn't bring back any bad memories. I, I picked that one because I thought it looked pretty even and, and pretty inter- energetic, but obviously maybe, maybe it didn't seem as even to you uh, <laughs> when, when you were in it, but he... Well, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you know what? And it was funny because we played him in Manitoba a couple weeks later, and my buddy's like, you got to fight him again. You guys got to go again. And if you look at, I think it was Mel Engelstown round one, and then uh, the round two, um, it was exactly basically like that first fight where it was toe-to-toe. And it was tough to find guys like that that I actually wanted to throw with you. You know, most guys would try to tie you up or uh, were scared to get hit, but... Uh, Mel Engelstad was one of those guys that just kept his face out there, and uh, kudos to him because he can definitely take a punch. Uh, did you ever catch anybody by surprise by throwing with your left? Yeah, it was weird because my whole career I never really threw left, and then in juniors, uh, my coach was Brad McCrimmon. Um, I ended up kind of jamming my thumb and almost breaking it, so I had to have a cast on my right, but he still wanted me just to kind of be on the bench. 
um, just, you know, without the other team knowing that my hand was messed up. And I'll never forget in Regina, I think I got a couple of shifts, and this guy named Travis Churchman was chasing me around the ice, and I never threw a left in my life. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, bang, I kind of dropped him, and then I fought again another guy, Barrett Jackman, and did well. And I started just kind of, because I could only throw one hand, so it was kind of ironic how all of a sudden having a cast on one hand, because you, know, you couldn't drop the glove because then the rep would be like, hey, you can't be playing with this, or you can't do this. So, um, you know, throughout my career, if you look at my last fight in the NHL with Jared Bull um, in the Oilers uniform, you could kind of see, because I knew that he would always kind of lean away and could only throw rights, but I uh, snuck on the left there and dropped him. So, you, you know, you'd always catch the odd guy that wasn't expecting. Right. Darcy Hordachuk joining us on Inside Sports. Darcy, and I know we talked briefly a few days ago where, where you know, I got in touch with you and said, you'd, would you be willing to do this? And, and I, I do appreciate that that you're willing to do it. And the guys we uh, talked to the first time we did it were Brent Gogol, Kerry Toporowski, who have two of the top three penalty minute seasons in the WHL, and uh, Tony Twist was on with us as well. So uh, it's pretty cool because a lot of times the the enforcers, the fighters, whatever you want to call them, have some of the best stories. I'm wondering for you where it started. Like, was there a coach or an age group or a game where you realized, okay, for me to be effective and to keep playing, I got to be willing to fight. Because I doubt as an eight-year-old, you were, I mean, like I always say, most eight-year-olds don't dream dream of getting 200 penalty minutes in the NHL. They dream of scoring 50 goals, right? So where did it happen for you? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you where it happened. I grew up in a, uh, in you know, in, in town. My dad was an extra tech. My mom was a nurse. And I had worked with my buddy on the farm all the time. And after you go in the... Uh, granary in the bins and you're shoveling grain into the auger and you're picking rocks 12 hours a day you realize that you hope that there's more to life than than having to make eight bucks an hour not not that there's nothing wrong with that somebody has to do it but you know i remember jesse rizantsov another canadian and or another guy from camsack and tyler wright jesse pulled me off and he goes darcy you're like a stock he goes if you can hit your stock goes up he goes if you can score goals your stock goes up if you can penalty kill and he goes if you like to fight you know so kind of in, I was always one of these guys that loved to protect my teammates. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, some guys would get hit or run and I'd be the first one to their defense. And what, what I think fans don't realize is that you also get pigeonholed. When you're 16 years old and you get all of a sudden in the Bantam draft, you're that piece of the puzzle where you kind of come to the team and that's why they brought you in there. So you, it's tough to get out of that mold because everybody brings somebody. You know, you get the guy, you know, a Jared Stoll that's good in, face-offs and he's a scorer he's in the top two line so everybody kind of has their part and all of a sudden i was in the i you know i remember in the ihl um i was supposed to be you know playing with the blaze as a 20 year old and next thing you know i'm fighting all these heavyweights and i would always kind of fight the guy the toughest guy on the team because i knew i'd do just as good against him as somebody else um that wasn't as tough because you know somebody was gonna get hurt in that fight so you just kind of you know here i am six foot one from cam saskatchewan fighting kids in junior now I'm stuck fighting all these heavyweights that are, you know, Derek Bugard, Bobby Probert, you know, um, all these different guys. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, and then you, you, you don't really expect that that's kind of going to be your job your whole life. But not too many people in their lives can can get away with not having to compete with the kids from Europe or, you know, you, the kid from Russia that's been training eight hours a day. And, you know, I kind of knew that if I ever was going to make it, um, I was never drafted as an 18-year-old. Um, there was three of us drafted as a 19-year-old, and I led the league almost both years in the WHL and PIMS. 
Um, but Brad McCrimmon, the coach, called somebody from Atlanta and just said, hey, take this kid in the eighth round. Just give him a chance. He's a good kid. He'll fight anybody. Because what I would do is I'd always fight Todd Fedora, the guy that was drafted from Prince Albert the fourth round. And then I'd fight, you know, Eric Goddard, that would play with Lesbridge, that was taken in the third. I was always Stephen Pete, you know. And it's sad to hear the story about Stephen Pete, but Stephen Pete was the toughest guy in juniors. If you Googled me, mine and his fight um, in the playoffs, like I was so nervous fighting him, I slipped before the fight, and then he hit me in the side of the year, and I think I gave him six of that fight. And uh, I couldn't sleep on my ear for, you know, like a week. And, uh, you know, it's just crazy, this journey that you go on and you reflect back. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a pretty cool journey. And, uh, you know, it gave me the opportunity to stay in the big big show fighting. And now the game's changed so much that, uh, you know, you, you don't get a chance to uh, to bring that kind of a part of the game or they won't draft you. It's, it's, it's more about uh, being quick and fast and uh, finesse. Well, I wanted, I wanted to ask you about that, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, I mean, you were playing in the WHL in the late 90s, and, and I think even then the attitude towards fighting or brawling or, you know, the, the, certainly the days of the late 70s and early 80s, like some of the other guys I interviewed where you might have a line brawl in warm-up, uh, you know, th- those were already long behind us by the time you were going through major junior uh, and into pro, and certainly now fighting continues to decline every every year some people like it some people hate it some people are maybe like well i'm going to watch hockey either way but by min let's say minimizing fighting and maybe minimizing the types of guys who played your role what do you think that's doing to the nhl well i always give the analogy like fans say i don't like it but it's it's like uh, having a gun in your house or a police officer around when things go away it's nice to have that gun or it's nice to have that police officer it doesn't mean you have to use it but just knowing that it's on the bench and that was my rule you know everybody's like why did you fight that guy i'm like i didn't even want to fight that guy i didn't want to fight their heavyweight i wanted to go and play the game and then all of a sudden taylor gets ran you know from behind and the coach you know is like hey this guy's up next you know something just went down and I go after the guy that hit Taylor, and I chase him around and then threaten him for hitting him and saying, hey, if you do that one more time and you want to be the tough guy in front of these 17,000 fans, you're going to get knocked out. And then all of a sudden he goes back to the bench, and then they send out Jody Shelley to come and fight me and say, what are you doing? So fans don't understand sometimes like what really goes down. And the game's changed so much now where – you know, even the, I feel bad for the guys like the Luke Gazdick's tough as nails, you know, and would still be having a hell of a career 10 years earlier, you know, and even the Tanner Glasses. I talked to Tanner the other day, and, you know, you, you just see a player that can kill penalties, still tough as nails, but, you know, if there's nobody out there to fight, it's tough. But, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely shifted the game, and, and do I like it? I don't know. I, I think if you're anybody you're a, you're a fan you, you still like to see that you know the fastest growing sports is the ufc i mean people love it people want to see that stuff and um you know it's 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 kind of interesting how the game's changed so much but um it is what it is and and um 
you know, you, you'll never see those days again. I'll, uh, I could promise you that. Yeah, well, things, the, things, yeah, continued. I mean, even the early 90s, there was a lot of fighting. Maybe there wasn't the full five-on-five or, like I said, the pregame warm-up brawls, but it, it, it's continued to decline for sure. Did you, have, did you, you retired, obviously, uh, 2013 was your last season. You had some games with Edmonton and some with Oklahoma City. Are you relatively healthy? Did you get out pain-free, concussion-free, or, or how are you feeling? Yeah, you know, you know what? I, I feel great. I mean, it's it's one of the downfalls and it's one of the upsides is that maybe because I only played six, seven minutes a game that, uh, you know, um, I feel great. But, uh, no, I've been blessed my whole career and really, knock on wood, not too many crazy injuries. And, and uh, you know, uh, I'm up here in Arizona in Scottsdale. The weather's great, so I don't have to worry about maybe the cold weather, which would probably um, show some of my, you know, earlier injuries up a little bit more with, the cold weather but uh no life is great and uh uh just really enjoying uh the next chapter of my life you know darcy it's it's interesting from my time covering um you know i covered the alberta junior hockey league i never actually really covered the western hockey league firsthand but the ajhl and the whl and it's interesting to me that's the 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 tougher guys or the guys who are willing to drop their gloves you know, are often the best interviews and are the most candid and the best spoken. And and I always, you know, I always found that they're, they're often the best guys to go to for a candid quote or maybe to explain really what happened in a game or on a play. Do you have to have a certain type of a, a personality to to carry off the enforcer's role as well? How does that factor in? No, you know what it is. I always tell everybody the toughest thing about fighting is dropping your gloves. It's such a mental part of your game and and i think that growing up catholic in small town and you know just having that little bit of a foundation with religion in your life i knew that there's a bigger purpose and i was like I, it was almost like a david and goliath story my whole career i never expected to be where i was i didn't know every day but i knew that there's there a bigger purpose in my life and as you go through this journey you're like man i i just fought probert and i just fought this and you know it, it doesn't matter who you are in life if you just say hey i'm gonna go and do this and and Listen, at, at the beginning of my career, I could tell you how many times I got beat up. But, you know, it's just like anything. If you if you know the, the burner's hot, you touch it right away, and you don't wait 10 years to touch it, you know, the faster you figure it out. And after you take a few beatings in the WHL, you kind of just make this progress where you're like, hey, I'm not going to do that no more. And I have all the VHL, VHS tapes of Tony Twist and Brad May and Proby. And I kind of, like, used to take, you know, what Ty Domi did well and, and what this guy did well and, you know, just try to piece it together, and it's like anything. Once you learn the system from the guys that, you know, kind of paved the way before you, um, it's just so much easier to to do whatever you're doing in life. And it's the same thing in business, right? You, you find out the guys that have paved the way. The fi- you find out the guys that are successful. You surround yourself with them, and all of a sudden you find yourself right where they are. They are. So it's more a mindset, and it's not personality. It's, it's listen you want to go out there and get dirty. I mean, some people were way, way tougher than I was, and some people were way better than I was, but, you know, it's easy to say you're way better, but to get out there and actually do it is, is a you know, totally different thing. So, um, yeah, it's just a mindset. It's not a personality. It's more a mindset. Darcy Hordajek joining us in Inside Sports. Darcy, a couple more quick ones for you. Thanks for being so generous with your time. You were in the NHL basically from 01 until 2013, so you got a good 13 years in. Who's the and you can't uh, you can't pick yourself. I got to ask you to be modest. Who's who's the champion from that era? Who's the heavyweight champ from the years you played? 
man, there are so many different guys for so many different reasons, right? Um, I mean, Eric, uh, you know, uh, Bugard was just one of those guys that he would, as soon as he kind of got that reach on you and strung you out, he would throw uppers, overs, would try to really hurt you. Um, you wouldn't expect it, but pound for pound back in the day, I remember getting hit by Paul Louse. Paul Louse was always one of the top leaders, a good defenseman, but threw like hammers. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Brian McGratton, uh, I remember him kind of punching me through my helmet and, um, you know, putting me on one knee. And in my whole career, I don't think I was really putting one knee. But Cassian was another Edmonton boy where you're like, holy crap. You know, he was training with Simon Bennett, and I actually was training with him too. And, you know, it was just one of these guys that was just kind of almost like a farm boy strength when, when he grabbed you. So I kind of feel bad for guys like, you know, Cassian and that, because they would have played 15 years. They would have played longer than I am. Luke Gazdick was another guy coming in there, um, you know, doing some damage. So so there's quite a quite a few different guys. Steve McIntyre, I mean, me and, me and Steve fought three times in camp when they brought me to the Oilers camp. Not the Oilers, the Saskatoon Blades, Blades camp. Brad McCrimmon said, hey, here's a guy if you want to make the team. And we fought each other three times in one scrimmage. And they're like, hey, that's enough. And kept us both in the same team. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, traded them to PA where I got to fight them basically my whole career. So there was a lot of kind of tough guys that, um, you know, obviously had the size and the weight. And um, But, I mean, for so many different reasons, it's, it's, it's one of those things on any given night, anybody can get knocked out or can, uh, can, get, can lose a fight. So. Right on. Okay, and and you mentioned Scottsdale, Arizona. Just let people know what you're up to now and how life has treated you since you retired. Well, life is great. You know what? I, I'm actually in the uh, private aviation business. I work for a company called JetLinks, and uh, we fly. We have 107 jets in our fleet, and uh, kind of just fell in my lap this job, and I kind of, um, whether you're an owner of a jet or you want to fly a jet, I kind of just... Uh, help promote the product and uh, my wife's in real estate she's with a remax up here so together we kind of team up between the the real estate and uh, and flying private so if you need any of those services or vacation rentals we have quite a few vacation rentals in edmonton um go to our website canada to arizona.com so it's canada to arizona.com and that's another company I started, too. So it gives you all the information of things to do in Arizona. Right on. Well, it sounds like you're loving life. Darcy, thanks for uh, coming on with us. There's more I could have asked you. So maybe for Volume 3 or 4 of Enforcers Week, I might have to bug you again. I really appreciate it, man. Anytime. Edmonton's a great town, and I'm. Uh, hopefully we can get the boys to get back in playoffs one of these years again. It was exciting last year, and uh, it's a good organization, a good group, uh, and... Uh, it's always fun to see uh, these guys have success. Right on. That is Darcy Hordachuk, Inside Sports on Ched. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Ched. Well, great to have Darcy Hordachuk on the show, Enforcers Week, Volume 2. From Camsack, Saskatchewan, to the National Hockey League. Great story. Tomorrow, well, it's a sequel, but uh, sometimes sequels don't turn out. I think this one's going to be fine. Brent Gogol, who was the star of Enforcers Week Volume 1, 
is going to be back for Volume 2 tomorrow. Kellen Kennedy is already so giggling with anticipation. we're just letting the, the mic on and just giving him 40 minutes he, he tomorrow. Was, he was incredible. We're going to be generous with our time. <laughs> and uh, he's happy to join us. So that's going to be cool. We'll have somebody else on later in the week as well. Maybe even a couple guys, depending on how some things work out. Here's what's happening in the National Hockey League. The uh, Maple Leafs are beaten in overtime. 2-1 by the St. Louis Blues. The Devils down the Islanders 4-1. Rangers whip the Flyers 5-1. In the third, Dallas has a 4-2 lead on Detroit. It's scoreless after two between the Golden Knights and the Predators. And the Sharks are up 1-0 on Arizona after the first period. Joe Thornton has his 11th of the season. Ice dancers Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer will be the flag bearers for Team Canada at the uh, Olympic opening ceremonies next month in South Korea. Last figure skater to be the flag bearer in the opening ceremonies, he's from Alberta. Young man by the name of Kurt Browning. So there you go. And uh, Hugh O'Neill, re-signed by the Edmonton Eskimos. He'll punt this year. Sean White will be the place kicker. On the show, you heard from Mike Riley. You heard from Ed Elnicki. You heard from Caitlin Osmond. And, of course, you heard from Darcy Hortichuk. Our studio producer this evening is the one and only Kellen Kennedy. Thanks to everybody who texted in, and I always appreciate that you tune in, no matter where you are. My name is Reed Wilkins. 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Let's do it again. Adler's next. Take care. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.